The casino may have its own water, but no place to flush it. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Joe Hallett, Senior Editor for the Columbus Dispatch. Karen Kassler, Statehouse Bureau Chief for Ohio Public TV and Radio. Michael Cole, Democratic Strategist. And Mary Ann Sharkey, Public Affairs Consultant. Last week, we learned the developer of the Columbus Casino might drill wells to get around the Columbus water system, something it would need to do if it wanted to build on the west side site without allowing the city of Columbus to annex the property. But this week, Columbus City Council and Franklin County Commissioners took away the casino's toilets. Well, at least they revoked an agreement to extend sewer lines to the site. Of course, the issue is whether the casino lives up to its agreement to annex the land to the city of Columbus. And that, of course, would bring to the city $24 million a year. The casino says it needs tax breaks and it is being bullied by city council and the Franklin County Commissioners. Joe Hallett, the uh, spokesman for the casino, says when you're dealing with bullies, sometimes you have to say enough is enough. What do you think that means? Well, I think that's exactly how the city felt because uh, I talked to the mayor about four days before the deal was announced and asked him who was going to blink in this standoff because I think there was a sense that the uh, casino had um, gained the upper hand once it found this new source of water. And he just kept telling me, look, I've kept my commitments to the casino. The casino needs to keep its commitments to uh, the city. So I think this really was a brilliant move by the city um, totally outfoxing Penn National on this. Uh, basically, the mayor and the council said, if you want to flush toilets in your casino, you've got to annex. And it also was a good deal for the county because um, they won, uh, they won uh, water rights from the city right. to, to areas that they've been wanting to, to develop. So I think the only loser in this deal so far has been Penn National. It'll be interesting to see what their next move is. Now, I mean, you could say the casinos have already helped the Columbus Society by bringing water to all these subdivisions that didn't have it before. They were having to truck in their water and things like that. Now, the city will lose. I mean, I assume the city hadn't extended water lines to these areas in the hopes that they would be annexed and they would gain the property tax money. So there is some money there, potential income the city has lost through this agreement, though. Yeah, I, th I think so. I think yeah. that was part of the equation. Uh, but uh, th this is almost more than money. Uh, I think it was a source of uh, a matter of pride and keeping commitments for the city and for the mayor and uh, I think they felt that they were uh, undermined uh, on this whole deal so um, this was a this was a pretty smart move I it'll be interesting to see what Penn National does. Well, Michael the Penn National has said that there was kind of a gentleman's agreement unwritten a friendly agreement that the city would help Penn National because they agreed and actually funded the campaign to move it from the arena district to the west side. Mm -hmm. What obligations does, does the city have to help them with that? Deal? I think the city has lived up, as, as Joe just alluded to, the city's kind of lived up to what's it, what its agreements are. I think they just approved a grant uh, to uh, give them cleanup monies for that site. Um, uh, they supported them during the campaign, I mean, vehemently. So I, I see the city making a brokering a, a very, very smart deal with the county in terms of providing water to some 27 different subdivisions that otherwise wouldn't have it. 
I mean, it's a clear example of when government wants to work together, <laughs> they find a way. <laughs> Marianne, you work with the, the developer of the Cleveland Casino. Any yes. toilet issues up there? Uh, no, not at all. I think that Dan Gilbert, who's doing both the Cincinnati and Cleveland uh, casinos, is probably happy he's not here in Columbus. I mean, this has been a you know fight from the get-go. I mean, ever since the you know the ballot issue passed, it was in the Arena District, and you know corporate leaders, including the Columbus Dispatch, you know, led a crusade to move to move it. And so I think, in fairness to Penn National, they did agree, even though they had it written into the Constitution, and we could all argue about that issue, but they had it written into the Constitution to do it in the Arena District. They agreed to move it. They paid for, you know, they paid for the ballot issue to put it back on the ballot. And I, and I, I believe that Penn National feels that they did have a commitment that they would be made whole for all their investment and the money they spend in the arena district. I wonder if there's any possibility, though, we've heard from Governor-elect John Kasich that maybe the casino deal had taxes that were too low. And so I wonder if this is bad, what would happen if lawmakers and the governor-elect want to start looking at that uh, tax rate that the casinos are paying and, and maybe changing that, then what might happen? If, if this is what's happening with this, what might happen if we start looking at it on a statewide level? But that would have to go back to the ballot Absolutely. to change the constitution Absolutely. again. I think there's a point to be made about the Arena District site. Uh, it's my understanding that uh, Penn National was not unhappy to move off that site sure because it was going to take a ton of money to bring that uh, property up to grade for the casino. Plus, they would have had to ha build a lot of uh, new access routes to highways. Mm -hmm. So I think that Penn National looked at that site and thought, it's going to be cheaper for us to develop this new area than, than the Arena District. So. Um, and it's bigger. They can build a hotel there. I think they wish they plan. I think they're planning an RV park and things like that. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a bigger site. They do own Beulah Park, and there is a proposal still on the table that, that could be acted on that brings slot machines to Beulah Park. It's in Grove City. They own a monopoly. Nobody else can bring gambling in here. Might they just say, okay, we're going to let this die down. We're just going to open up Beulah Park, have our slots and say Columbus. I the think there's still an issue of what would have to happen at the statewide level for that. I know that Armin Budish, the speaker who's going to become the minority leader, has said he supports that. Bill Batchelder, the minority leader who will be the speaker, has said he'd look into it as well. So I would think that that's something that's possibly on the table, at least uh, you know, in the beginning of the next General Assembly. Okay. But you don't think they're giving up the casino to just do the Beulah Park? Because I, I don't think that's going to happen at all. Too much money on no, the table. No, the casino is much, much more of a money maker any day that's than slots at the tracks. And through this whole campaign, yeah. it's all about the, all about the Benjamins, <laughs> as they say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. For the better part of the past year, Inspector General Tom Charles has been harshly critical of the Ohio Department of Public Safety under Governor Ted Strickland. Now... Tom Charles will run that department. Governor-elect John Kasich has tapped Charles as the director of public safety. Charles has served as the state's chief watchdog for 12 years. He also worked more than 30 years with the Highway Patrol. Karen Kassler, Democrats argue that Charles, in a way, helped John Kasich defeat Ted Strickland by hammering his public safety department throughout the past year, and now he's getting to run the department, and they don't like the way that sits. And they're using a letter that actually State Senator Tim Grendel, who chaired the committee hearings that eventually led to the rejection of the public safety director, Kathy Collins-Taylor, he wrote a letter to Kevin DeWine, the chair of the Ohio Republican Party, basically saying, I ran these hearings, and look what happened. Uh, they 
were to the detriment of Governor Strickland, and he lost his reelection effort. And so, yeah, Democrats are trying to point to that and saying this is why Tom Charles is a bad choice because he was the one that was investigating this agency, and now for him to mm -hmm. lead it doesn't seem right. But then you've got people on Kasich's team who are saying he knows the problems in this agency. He knows what needs to be changed. He knows where things need to be moved around and whatever, and so he is exactly the right choice. I think it's the first real controversial appointment that we've had out of the Kasich administration. Um, and it's interesting because the Tom Charles appointment comes along with the appointment of John Bourne to head the Ohio Patrol, who, of all the people I've talked to, he is the most universally liked and nobody can criticize him, and yet there are plenty of people who have criticisms of Tom Good Charles, job, so it's an yeah. interesting dichotomy there. I, I agree. I think there, I mean, I, I, first of all, I have to say that I've been extremely impressed with John Kasich's appointments. I mean, I think so far he has picked very solid, experienced, good government people who understand, you know, the workings of government. But I do think the the, uh, the appointment um, as public safety director of Tom Charles does raise some issues and is a little bit troubling, given given mm -hmm. how it heated and political it became during the campaign. I'd agree with that as well. Nepotism here, of course, is in question. I mean, with a wife uh, and a son who are highway or highway patrolmen, um, and the fact that you know there was lobbying on behalf of the current <laughs> the current appointee uh, to to you know who he wanted to see there before uh, Dickin was there. Uh, but more importantly, I, I just think that this question of his wife and the place that she is Dickin is the outgoing director. Outgoing director. But I think this could be a problem yeah. for him. Another point to be made about Tom is he had a, he had a very good relationship with the press. In fact, he hired two reporters to work for him, but. Uh, <laughs> He now has gone from being the hunter to being the hunted. He, he's got a role reversal there, and uh, he's been very good at keeping others accountable. And now the press is going to have to keep him accountable, and we'll see how that works out. Let me ask you this far-out conspiracy theory. George Voinovich, Bob Taft, and Ted Strickland all had to deal with Tom Charles, the watchdog. By pointing him to the Department of Public Safety, John Kasich doesn't have to deal with Tom Charles, the watchdog. As I've, I've actually heard other people say that it may not be that far out in terms I mean, it's of it's a win-win situation from something. Now, I'm sure that whoever is the inspector general will be tough and, and of have a lot well, of integrity be, and things like that. You know, it's inevitable that the governor, like Kasich, is going to have to make cuts. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how much he cuts the new the inspector general's office because um, that is, after all, the arm of government that investigates him. But but I mean I think there could be something to that. I mean getting him kicked upstairs and and uh, instead of being the inspector general. I mean after all, look what happened to Bob Taft and the misdemeanors and mm -hmm. for non-reporting. I mean he did peer, he did he was a fearless inspector general and you have to give him his due. So you know it could very well be that they you know smart your, enough to kick him upstairs. Keep your enemies close, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> Let me ask what, real quick about the diversity issue. Chris Redfern complained two weeks ago about it's all white males. Ray Miller said, "Hold your horses. Right. We'll wait and see." There hasn't been a, there's been a woman appointed to, to the adjutant general of the National Guard, but that's the only non-white male that's been coming around. You know, I did think about that Lindsay Teeter article. I see white people mm -hmm. from you the know, other paper, <laughs> right? Yeah. From the other paper, I, I I kind of agree with that. I think my concern is is where is the diversity here? Um, there's talk of uh, the lieutenant governor elect. Uh, possibly going after uh, the Department of Commerce. 
Um, so there might be another addition there if we see it happen, and that one might be another controversial, of course, for another topic. But um, I, I am concerned as well about the issue of diversity, where they're talented Latinos, African Americans, uh, disabled folks who can bring, con who can bring uh, uh, added value to the table. There's still a lot of appointments left, though, in, the, in fairness to the incoming Kasich administration. He did raise eyebrows during this announcement when the governor-elect criticized the media for making his hiring process difficult. I find myself tripping over the anthills on the way to the pyramids. We have so many stupid rules and regulations that prevent us from getting the best people to come in here. You just can't believe it. And I blame it on all of you, all this transparency and you know, <laughs> conflicts and all this other stuff. I'm going to just tell you, it is a problem to get quality people to come to work in the government. Transparency, conflict of interest laws, ah, who needs them? Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, he, he, he's still in the Fox News mode, and he'll get out of it eventually. But uh, it's ironic because the, the governor-elect had no problem with transparency during the campaign when the press was using public records to expose uh, Troopergate and other problems in the, in the Strickland administration. So, it's, you know, I think he just let his mouth get ahead of his brain, and he stepped on a very positive event, you know, the appointment of these two gentlemen to head the, the safety uh, offices for Ohio. Is it a clue of how he will run his administration? If your if your theory on uh, you know the Charles appointment holds true, then who knows? Well, who I, knows? I, I will say though that I agree with Marianne. I have been extremely impressed with the caliber of cabinet appointees that, of Governor Luck Kasich. These are really talented people who have experience. That you know, we may feel sometimes that that Kasich himself is knee jerk, but but. The, the appointments to his cabinet indicate that he will not govern uh, as a knee-jerk governor. And there are certain things that he can and certain things that he can't do. I mean, we know where our rights lie as reporters in terms of being able to find out this information. And, and if there's information that's out there that we have a right to find out, we, we're going to try to find it out. So, you know, there are definitely rules that need to be followed. Not everything is, is up for, you know, whatever you want to do. But, but I wouldn't completely scoff at the trans transparency issue. Uh, it is difficult for people who have good jobs to go apply for another good job while they're still sitting there and the, and the media is able to figure out, you know, that they put in an application for, you know, director of, you know, public safety or whatever. You know, their bosses then will learn from the media that they've applied for that job. So well, there are problems. Yeah. Let's put this into perspective quickly, though. We have a much more sophisticated media savvy, 24 hour cycle kind of electorate who want accountability, who want to make sure that their public dollars are accounted for, that their public leaders are accountable in the positions that they were either appointed to or elected. That's a big issue. I'm not so willing, I am willing to scoff at, at the transparency argument. I really am because it's absolutely critical. I mean, that's where teabaggers, this whole teabagger movement really started on the issue of accountability and transparency. Well, and if Governor Alec Kasich uh, wants to avoid proper media scrutiny for his appointees, then he should pay for them out of his own pocket, not out of our pockets, because we taxpayers deserve to know right. about the people who are going to represent us in government. Before we 
you know, label the incoming Kasich administration as anti-media. He did invite us all, all the media, to the media Christmas party. It says it's a down payment on the long honeymoon or fortifying ourselves for a very long four years. It's at the Ringside Cafe, ironically <laughs> enough. And who was invited in order of importance? First on the list, the entire staff of Fox News Channel. Anyone who's ever worked at Fox News Channel, anyone who's ever advertised on Fox News Channel, and anyone who's ever watched Fox News Channel and the rest of us. And you know that that's a very funny invitation. And yeah. you know, it, in a way, it, it's it like it, the sense of humor that I do yeah. see coming out of the Kasich campaign it, is really it, it's you know it's it's not fun without a purpose. I yeah. guess it, there's there's definitely pointed humor, but it, it's it's interesting that that there's fun poking. It's a good know? natured rough yeah. and tumble. Anyway, let's let's get to the other political political news of the week. The Democrat with perhaps the brightest political future in Ohio is leaving the state, at least for now. Outgoing Attorney General Richard Cordray is taking a job in Washington. He'll be working for the new U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. He'll be the Bureau's top watchdog for things like student loans, credit cards, mortgages, and other consumer financial products. Marianne Sharkey, is it safe to say that Richard Cordray will be renting in D.C. <laughs> and not buying? I think it's very safe to say. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that he came right out of the box and said, "I'm, you know, I'm running in three or four years." Running for governor. And this job is clearly this job is clearly just a stopgap measure. And I mean, I, I think Cordray is clearly a excellent choice. He's done a very good job. He's every position he's ever held. Uh, people have been, you know, highly complimentary of his professionalism. He's a bright guy. He's an honest guy. And he does have a future in Ohio. So but I think say, rent, renting is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, the, the job is, is perfect for him, given all he's done over the past couple of years with foreclosures and, and looking and at it, credit and cards and stuff like that. temporary. It doesn't require him to live there permanently. He can leave whenever he wants. So, yeah, it's the, and it gives him the national profile. Um, you know, he's got, had a national profile over the last year because of all the suits that he's filed and, you know, against Wall Street and some of these other things. So he has that national profile now. He can be on CNBC and, and go and, you know, make these statements. And so it's, it's a great position for him, I think. It'll help him uh, burnish his already strong credentials as Attorney General, uh, as a as a champion of consumers, and it, it will give him a, a high profile. And uh, I think uh, he's still at the top of the heap uh, for four years down the road to run against Governor Casey, particularly since Mayor Coleman has pretty much taken himself out of there, and. Uh, so I think he's just coming out of the gate saying, hold the seat for me. You know, I'm going to be gone for a little while, but I'm, I'm going to be back. Is there any danger at all? I mean, it's nice to be on CNBC, but he can't, he's not attorney general, which would probably be the most advantageous position to be in. Leaving Columbus and getting away from the Columbus media and out of our spotlight for a couple of years, is there any danger that we'll forget him or that voters will forget him? I don't know that that's the case. Um, he did extraordinarily well in his numbers here for his election. Um, he's somebody that comes with an incredible credential countywide, not just here in the city, but countywide. I don't see that that being a, a factor at all. And I think he would have been just as easily forgotten if he went to a law firm here in town, right. you know, and, and was doing that sort of work. You know, we'd never see him maybe then. <laughs> Two other office holders said farewell this week. George Voinovich said his goodbyes on the U.S. Senate floor and at a Columbus reception. And Ted Strickland gave his farewell speech at the Columbus Metropolitan Club, where he maintained his administration has put Ohio in a better position to succeed. There is much that we must leave unfinished. But I know this, the foundation of Ohio is stronger now than the day I took office.
Like we'll call the problem is foundations are hard to see. They're kind of underground. Is there any chance that what he accomplished will be forever hidden? I if think, he accomplished the things he I think he's in a tough spot to where accomplishments uh, that you had then become your predecessor's accomplishments. He built a foundation and he put it in, he shared a great narrative around that. Uh, where, what Ohio has done with education, what Ohio has done with industrial manufacturing growth, what Ohio has done with the alternative energy uh, community. Um, he's, he spelled it out very, very well, but I'm, I think that what will happen is, is that he set the stage for you know, Kasich to have success and it's Kasich's ball to either drop or continue to carry to the end zone. But Kasich's already said that some of these things he's thinking about changing. I mean, for example, education reform, he's thinking about uh, making some major changes in that. So, uh, you know, there is I that. Know if he had so many solid accomplishments. Why did he not run his campaign on them? I mean, he ran a relentlessly negative campaign in which he really said little or nothing about what he had ever done in his four years as governor. And now he comes, you know, after the election, after he lost, and now he finally finds his voice to say, here's what I accomplished. Arian makes a, makes a good point, and I, and I do know that the governor is, is very upset about Governor like Kasich's plans to undo what uh, Strickland sees as part of his legacy, the rail, the, the passenger rail, the evidence-based education model. But in fairness, you cannot objectively look at this, at the Strickland legacy without remembering it has to be looked through the prism of the worst <laughs> economic climate since the Great Depression. And when that hit, out of the window went all the big plans, all the major accomplishments every governor wants to have. He, I think he did a pretty good job of managing the state through that crisis. You know, to add to that though, um, you, you, that's a great point. To add to that, you talk about the focus on the Obama presidency and the stimulus involvement and in even getting Ohio's economy to begin <coughs> to move forward. Um, whether it's the seven billion dollars, I believe it is, that we got from the Obama administration. Um, For state government. Exactly. So I, I think when you look at it from that prism, I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing this Republican regime begin to move away from whatever the Strickland uh, legacy is. I want to get to George Voinovich. Uh, George Voinovich ended, ended his 44 years in elected office, uh, but he warned the Senate of what he called a growing frustration that Congress is oblivious to the problems of ordinary Americans. The American people know that even when members of a family get along, it's difficult to get things done. So they most certainly know that when we are laser focused on fighting, politicking, and messaging, their concerns and plight are forgotten and nothing controversial gets done. Joe Hallett, did he practice what he preached there? I think he did overall in his, uh, in his term, uh, particularly as mayor and as governor. Uh, if, you, if you talk to George Voinovich for any length of time, it's only a, a matter of seconds before he mentions bipartisanship and private private-public uh, partnerships, and uh, he got things done in Cleveland because he forged a strong bond with a very powerful Democratic Council President, George Forms, and he did the same in, in uh, Columbus as governor by forming a, a bond with, right. with Vern Reif, the, the very powerful speaker. Uh, I talked to uh, Senator Voinovich at length and went up to his house, and he genuinely is concerned about uh, the paralyzing polarization 
and worried that nothing's going to get done about uh, the national debt and the deficit. So was he was he frustrated in the Senate that he couldn't do he wasn't the executive anymore, so he couldn't push things through himself. I think I think so. I once asked him uh, what was his favorite job, since he had so many different jobs: county commissioner, county auditor. Um, mayor, you, uh, governor, senator, and he told me without question it was mayor because he could get the most done as mayor, and um, and I and I really think he he meant that that it was easier for him to push the city ahead, and he did a tremendous job in Cleveland. Anybody who watched Cleveland during that era knows George Voinovich was the person who 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 righted Cleveland, and um, and so I think I think that's accurate. Okay, we got to get to our final off the record. Parting shots for this week. Uh, Marianne Sharkey, you're up first. Well, I was going to say I, I want to welcome home Jada Voinovich, who after 44 years of traipsing around with, uh, with her husband, George, it's good to have her back in Cleveland. It's good to see that she's going to be able to spend some family time and that she, it's a well-deserved uh, opportunity for her to spend time with her children and grandchildren. Michael. Um, Strap in and get ready for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Carrie Kastler, your final thought. Well, I got a chance to talk to George Voinovich today for our TV show, and I had only half an hour with him, which is not enough time to talk to George Voinovich about four decades in office. Did you get two questions? I, I got actually more than that. He gave me several really concise answers. One of them was, and this was unfortunately off camera, I said, have you decided about don't ask, don't tell? And he looked at me and he said, I've decided but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> and I don't know what that means, but I guess we'll find out soon. <laughs> he didn't tell. You asked, he didn't I tell. I didn't tell, yeah. And Joe, your final well, thought. Well, if you'll if allow me a shameless promotion, you ought to look at Sunday's Dispatch because my, my colleague, Daryl Rowland, did a pretty exhaustive look at campaign finance uh, over the last two decades. And even though in the decade of the 2000s, we had spending limits and contribution limits. Uh, we had contribution limits. 73% more was contributed in that decade than in the 1990s. Wow. And he hones in on 13 major givers uh, over the last decade. It's pretty pretty interesting look. We'll check it out. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. Next week, a shameless plug of our own. We'll have a Columbus on the Record special, an interview with Governor Ted Strickland. He'll sit down with us 101 and discuss his term as governor and possibly his future. So check out that next week. Also, check us out online where we are on Facebook and we're on Twitter. You can connect to all of that at our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.